You're listening to Work in Progress. I'm Ramona Schindelheim, Editor-in-Chief of Working Nation. Work in Progress explores the rapidly changing workplace through conversations with innovators, educators, and decision-makers, people with solutions to today's workforce challenges. As we wrap up 2023, it's time to take a look at some of the key workforce issues ahead in 2024. Joining me in the discussion today are Working Nation founder and CEO, Art Bilger, and Working Nation president, Jane Oates, who is transitioning into the role of senior advisor in the new year. Welcome back, both of you. Thanks, Ramona. Ramona, thank you as always. Thanks for the incredible uh, insights that you bring to the table. Looking forward to this discussion. Jane, we've talked so many times about what the issues are today, and we always look ahead. What are you looking at in the coming year? So it's hard not to look at the federal government first in the new year. I mean, certainly the House just put out a new version of a reauthorization of WIOA. They put out short-term Pell, and all the money that was put out by the Department of Commerce for CHIPS, for Build Back Better, all that is starting to hit the street. So uh, all eyes are going to be, I think, at, the, at least for the beginning of the year on the federal government to see what's going to happen with those structural laws that really uh, mean a lot to the people in the workforce space. I think we're also going to look at states because I think at the end of 2023, some states were doing amazing things, uh, changing the length of time to degrees dealing with skills-based hiring, some states dealing with competency-based education. So I think it's really an exciting time to watch government next year. I love what you brought up about the CHIPS Act and the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, because that creates a lot of opportunity and a lot of skills that people have, but they may transition with those as they move forward. So Art, you know, we've talk to our advisory board, because we always love to do this at the end of the year. We always love to talk to the advisory board and say, what issues are you looking at? And something that has been on our table for the last year, but is really heating up again is artificial intelligence. How do you think that's changing the workforce? I think AI and the, uh, the artificial intelligence is going to have a very accelerated what, basically what's happened, that has been happening for a long time. You know, technology and data and analytics and all have been having impact on the employment world for a very long time. But what's happening, I believe, is you've got a real acceleration. So much is going on. But the good news is, I think within companies and other types of organizations, government, the not-for-profit world, people are really digging in to gain an understanding of where AI can take them and are beginning to implement strategies for training and skilling personnel so that they can participate in this very significantly changing work environment. Jane, I would say, and you probably agree with me, that anybody who doesn't embrace this new technology that's moving quickly, it, it, it affects everybody. It affects people in, in a retail store. Some of that's going to be used for inventory. So I think it seems this is an important issue that we all look at as we move forward and try to figure out as workers, what do we need to know? Yeah, I think that's right. I think most employers right now are struggling with whether AI is going to impact every job. 
the, the use of AI tools. Obviously, we're not going to have to learn to build the algorithms for AI, but we're going to have to adapt to how our jobs change. Very simply, you know, in the world of writing, a lot of people will use AI for a first draft, so they have to improve their editing skills. They have to be better readers of things to get it to get things better. Uh, a few months ago, I used it in a conference, and AI as it exists today, you know, especially large language AI, is filled with errors. But I think you know, you talked about. Ramona, some of the, the interviews you did with our advisory group, and I think Bill Reduschel said it right. I mean, we have no idea. Jobs are going to change. All jobs are going to change. And we right now have no idea how. And our educational institutions, you know, I think it was really optimistic of Art saying people were starting to experiment with it. But our educational institutions don't know what to teach people. Some schools are banning the use of it. They're spending all their money in buying software that can detect, detect plagiarism. You know, other schools are embracing it and saying, let's use this as a tool, much like they did with the smartphone. You know, some schools banned the use of it and other schools said, bring it in and let's see how we can use it to accelerate and expand your education. But I think we're still in the dark ages with this. I am not as optimistic as art is that everybody's getting into it and training with it and using it. I think half the world is ready to figure out how to use it and half the world is scared to death. I actually very much agree with Jane there. And she just raised something that is the the thing that I probably think most about from an AI standpoint, and that is uh, your reference to uh, education. I do spend real time and do have significant concerns about how AI gets implemented in the education systems that we have, whether it's at the college level, and I've talked with university uh, professors about that. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I've gotten some optimistic views from you know some university professors and how they're beginning to utilize it and work with. Although one, uh, one professor who was quite optimistic, but he did say at uh, one point uh, he had his students write a paper. He uh, had everyone uh, write the paper in class. <laughs> I think now you're spot on. I think the big worry in my mind is will it exacerbate the divide that already exists be between well-resourced schools, K-12 and colleges, well-resourced people and people with fewer resources and schools with fewer resources. You're absolutely right. That divide, we have very serious risks with regard to the expansion of that uh, divide. You know, I, I mentioned, you know, talking about university and I've been talking to professors at universities, but uh, I haven't had conversations, but I'm thinking a lot about, and I have three young grandchildren, although only one at age three has started, uh, you know, a preschool. The other two are too, still too young. But I think about at those very early ages, how, how, how we can get the educators of young people knowledgeable about AI and ultimately the, the utilization of that to the point you just made, Jane, that divide is probably going to grow dramatically. We got to figure it out, how to get educators educated with regard to AI and how they can utilize it in their, uh, their efforts. I think both Chike Agui and Hector Mujica on the advisory board, they both brought up something that made me think of also is the equity. So as 
fast as all of these skills are changing, how do we make sure everybody has those resources, have that access so that they are equipped to participate in an equitable way in our economy? So that education part is very key. You need to make that skilling available to everyone. Well, and how do you just get the information out? You know, kids, you have captive audiences in K-12, but after age 18, everybody disperses. And you think about the the ease of maybe getting to younger people, but how do you get to incumbent workers? You know, Gary and Gina Cease and certainly Mark and Paul, members of our advisory group, brought up older workers. But, you know, while like I am deeply concerned always about older workers, the reality is what about those people 30 to 60? Who's going after them and who's saying to them, you're, you're going to need to go back. So it really does land right on the lap of employers. Employers have yeah. a huge responsibility here. I, I love what Brandon Bustide said, which was the future won't distinguish between places of learning and places of work because they'll be one and the same. I think, you know, Brandon is such an optimist, you know, but the reality is there are a lot of employers, small, medium, and large, who are terrific in this space. And there are an equal number of other employers who think, I give you a paycheck, I don't need to give you anything else. And those employers are going to have employees who are lost in the shuffle. We're going to CES in early January, and this podcast will air before then. And we're going to be there talking to a lot of tech companies about how much technology, not just AI, but other software is changing the way we work. So Art, do you see this as a opportunity or do you see it as a problem for the workforce because they're gonna have to learn new skills? I see it as a long-term opportunity, but I also see that we will have clearly meaningful bumps along the way. You know, we've had technological changes throughout the centuries. You know, you end up with some bumps when uh, technology changes the employment world. You have some bumps along the way. But I, I would say when you look back, a lot of very positive things have come out of it. But you just have some indigestion along the way. Here, I do think we're going to have meaningful indigestion along the way. But... The outcome offers tremendous opportunity across society. What happens, and I'm just making this up, but what happens because of AI that all of a sudden, you know, five day a week work goes to three day a week work, more time with family, more time with friends. But I do think there is going to be very positive outcome that, you know, that flows out of it, but, you know, significant bumps along the way. I think there are sectors where we're going to see the benefit. Uh, we're already seeing the benefit, you know, in healthcare. I think this is going to make personalized healthcare a reality. You're going to be able to use some of the things that are done with DNA testing, get it done faster. You're going to be able to make sure that people who have long-term illnesses are tracked better. I think the same thing in education. You know, I think that there's a real opportunity to do individualized education for the first time ever in a time effective way. If, as Art said, you know, we get teachers the training they need, but, you know, I think there are big issues that we have to solve early in this. I mean, 
bias is a big issue here. I mean, AI makes assumptions about people, about the way they look, about the way they talk. And we need to make sure that we address bias. We need to address plagiarism. Right now we're seeing elite university presidents being questioned about their use of language and phraseology in their uh, in their work. I mean, think of what happens when AI is universe, more universally used. You'll have phrases that are reused and reused and who has ownership of them. So I think plagiarism is something that's really important. And I think the other thing that is critical to me in this is personal protections. I mean, we need to protect personal information here, whether it's patented information or just secure personal information. And, you know, right now, AI has no built-ins on that. AI will pick up your social security number, your age, everything about you, uh, if it's public record and make it more public. My worry, this comes out of just my journalism background too, is I want to make sure that AI doesn't spread disinformation mm -hmm. and you need good, accurate information to be a participant in our democracy and in our workforce. I want to make sure that there is the, uh, there are those guardrails in place that also protect us from that bad information. Yeah. I mean, look, when I, when I mentioned before that I use this at a, a presentation, I had a generative AI, I won't use the name, uh, write my bio. And my real bio was in the program. And I asked all the participants to look in their program. And then I put, they, they must've thought I was an egomaniac, but then I asked them, I put the generative AI bio up and the generative AI had me listed as the assistant secretary of education. I was never the assistant secretary of education. I mean, so you think about that kind of information. If news outlets get lazy and do that, I mean, the, it gets to your misinformation and think of the other things that could be twisted. Really, I think you're right, Ramona. I think it's a real danger. I've been focused for many, many years on data and analytics d dating back to, <laughs> dating back many years. I have always been focused on the collection of data. What just personally, who needs to know about me individually and what I spend, how much did I spend for a cup of coffee today or, you know, whatever. That's been a concern of mine for a long time. Obviously, I've totally lost control of that because <laughs> everyone's collecting uh, data out there. But I think Jane's point about misinformation is incredibly important. And I actually believe that is a fundamental issue that we're faced with today in society. I really believe there's so much misinformation that is, in some cases, un, you know, in many cases, unintentionally used, but also in a lot of cases, you know, not unintentionally, with real intention. And I believe... A lot of the conflicting thoughts and a lot of the, the division in society and things like that, there's a lot of just misinformation. I'd like to be optimistic that through real advancements of AI, we can have the potential of correcting flows of information and understanding. That might be a, a positive from a societal standpoint. It's going to take a while. I, I know, and as I said a few minutes ago, I know <laughs> there are going to be a lot of bumps along the way. I do feel some constructive senses 
with regard to where society can go. And uh, I am a believer we got real challenges right now. And I'm hopeful that this can actually facilitate uh, people coming together in uh, more efficient ways. As we wrap up this conversation, I would love for you both to share your thoughts on what should workers know as we're moving ahead into the new year? How can they protect themselves, prepare themselves? What can they do so they can be in line for these quality jobs that AI or other th- other technology are going to make available? Okay. A key ingredient going forward from a constructive standpoint is the concept of lifelong learning. And workers, whoever you might be, have to be thinking about that from themselves as well as their family members, that looking out to understand and learn from others where one might guide themselves. We're all not just sitting there with all the knowledge possible. And I will say in today's digital world, where there's so much availability of information out there, people ought to be really utilizing those sources of digital information out there that could educate it. It could be a little podcast being done by uh, Ramona at the Working Nation, or it can be a, a certificate program with regard to you know the retraining of skills for the next round of uh, employment society. Key is going to be learning new skills. No matter who you are, you're going to be learning new skills on a continuing basis uh, to be successful. And you have to just mentally approach life as wanting to learn more. On the purpose piece, you know, for me, when you talk about workers across the spectrum, they have to feel good about what they're doing. That's, to me, a piece of purpose. And kind of embedded in that is we have to give every job and every worker the dignity that they deserve. So we need to respect and appreciate workers at all levels. The three of us are so fortunate, but we need to remember that there are people out there when we say, and by the way, I agree with you, Art, people should be continuously learning, but there are people that are really struggling just to balance their kids, their home life, their work, getting to work. You know, we get out and get into a car. There are so many people that have to take public transportation or hope that the ride they have is going to show up. I mean, I think we need to remember that when we say people, workers particularly uh, who need to upskill, need to be given the time during the day by their employer to do some of that because time is their biggest enemy. Uh, money, you know, they can figure out money in, in one way or another, but they may not have internet at home. They may not have a computer at home. And still too many of the tools that we use all the time are computer friendly, but aren't smartphone friendly. So, you know, we haven't gotten to the point that you can do everything on your phone that you you need to do. And the entities that so many people rely on, like public libraries, you know, like businesses who have free internet, aren't open 24-7. I thought it was so beautiful, Ramona, with the when you were interviewing the uh, advisory group, because I think 
to a one, I mean, at least 10 of them brought up populations who are marginalized. And I think every time we make a recommendation, whether it be we working nation or we anyone, that people should do this, we need to make sure that people have what they need in order to do that. Both the navigation, you know, the career navigation that so many aren't getting, the technology tools that aren't so well identified, you know, and also the kind of uh, lift that they need. People call them wraparound, uh, wraparound services, but who's giving them the support that they need? You know, the three of us may be independent learners and many people listening to your podcast are independent learners because they're listening to a podcast. But what about the people who aren't? The people who need the structure of a cohort, the people who need the structure of someone telling them you have to do this before you can do this. And finally, I would say to you, somebody's got to help people articulate their skills. Too many of us, particularly when we look to, to change jobs, are not able to clearly and accurately articulate what skills we have. Whether they're, you know, vocational skills sometimes are easy because Art mentions certifications. You can have a certification. But, you know, how about durable skills? How do you talk about your durable skills? And as we wrap this up, I'm going to say my own two cents on that is I want to make sure there is that knowledge out there where you can find that career navigation to me is very important because people don't have social capital all over the country. Not everybody has that access to it. So I do want to thank you both. As always, I really appreciate you. We've, we've done this a couple of times together and I look forward to doing it again. So thank you very much. Thanks, Ramona. Thanks, Art. Ramona, thank you very much. Jane, thank you. I've been speaking with Art Bilger, founder and CEO of Working Nation, Jane Oates, president of Working Nation. I'm Ramona Schindelheim, editor-in-chief of Working Nation. Thank you for listening.